Please remain standing and open your Bibles to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5. We'll read verses 15 through 27. Uh, there's one I'm going to skip over uh, that doesn't pertain to the, the text this morning in, in the service. So follow along and uh, let's read verses 15 through 27. Then Naaman returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. And now down to verse 19. He said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when Gehazi came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So Gehazi went out from Elisha's presence a leper like snow. Please be seated. And Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the promise, the guarantee that you will uh, help us through your Holy Spirit to understand and interact with this text. This is your word for us today, and we thank you that we get to encounter it. Some of us maybe even for the very first time. Thank you, Lord. Help us now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be talking about contentment versus covetousness. I was going to just start with these lyrics, but this is, this is so good. This, to me, is the best song for contentment. 
Uh, if you're looking at pop songs for contentment, uh, uh, you could take songs like uh, Our Good Times Start and End with a Dollar One to Spend, and you could find songs like that, How Much Baby Do We Really Need, and there's some good songs about contentment. But this one is about a man who's contented, planning to be content in his retirement. Um, he says, when I get even more old than I am now, I'll have a house overlooking the water. I'll read all the books that I never got round to and pile all my suitcases up in the corner. Lights of the city, they blink off and on again. Names in my memory are there, then they're gone again. Albums of photographs spread on the floor again. And I'll spend my evenings with Catherine of Oregon. I'll fill my garage up with things I have no use for, obsolete knickknacks that there is no excuse for. I'll turn my back on the world's grand illusions, take my delights in the simplest amusements. Lights of the city, they blink off and on again. Names in my memory are there, then they're gone again. Albums of photographs spread on the floor again, and I'll spend my evenings with Catherine of Oregon. I'll wear my clothes with their colors all clashing. They'll be so old that they'll come back in fashion. I'll sit on the beach with my paper-wrapped luncheon. I'll enjoy being the ancient curmudgeon. And he goes on to sing that chorus. And I say, that's just a nice, gentle song of a man who's planning to be content. It may not work out for him. Uh, he may uh, have some health issues. Uh, Catherine uh, may have her health issues, or maybe... Maybe uh, she won't be the, uh, won't have the same perspective on life. But he's saying, I'm looking at the next stage of my life and the rest of my life, and I'm going to be a man who's content. Not going to look for a bunch of possessions, just a bunch of knickknacks that there's no excuse for. Not planning for a big old house and to collect my art or all my things. I'll have a little house, and, and my garage will get overrun with all that uh, little junk that will be there. Not the latest fashions, but clothes that are so old they'll come back in style. I don't plan to travel the world and, and try this cuisine and that and, and be a, a foodie. I'll just eat my paper wrap lunch and I'll do the same thing and I'll just hang out with Catherine. No last name, just Catherine of Oregon. Uh, that, to me, is a picture of contentment. And that's almost... Uh, God blows his truth sometimes through a silver trumpet and, and uh, all truth is God's truth and that's almost, I can say that's biblical. What do we need? What stuff do we need? What covetousness has trapped us in our lives? What happened to uh, Gehazi? There's a world that puts so much pressure on us to be discontent, to strive for things. Uh, you earned this. You will be happy if you have this. You deserve a break today, so get up and get away. Uh, you only go around once in life. You better get that gusto right now. And there's a, a you earned it, and you can't be happy without it. Look at some of the strategies. Um, I'm thinking uh, just even uh, some, of, some of the tactics of some of the timeshare people. You're quality people. You've worked hard. You deserve good vacations. You deserve this. You've earned this. Not vacations like the riffraff have, but you need to give us the $40,000 so you can have good vacations because you're quality people. 
and it appeals to us. And you walk out of there and maybe you're a little uh, disappointed uh, that you don't get to be like those quality people, that you have to be with the riffraff and take bad vacations if you get them at all. Uh, the contentment and the desire and the putting things in front of you. Uh, you'll only be happy if, or you're discontent because, and there's a drivenness in this world. You will finally be happy, but you need this to be happy. Watch out for that marketing. My, my phone people gave me a free season of MLS soccer. That's good. I, I kind of enjoy soccer, and I wanted to see how St. Louis was going to do in their first game and interested in Montreal, but I tuned in the uh, very first game yesterday afternoon, and it was New York City against Nashville. And man, I'm like Gehazi. I saw a garment that they've been pushing that I really wanted. Nashville has tied in with Johnny Cash's family, and it's the man in black jersey, and it's an all-black jersey, and it's got Johnny Cash going into Folsom Prison and a little picture on the corner, and it's got Johnny Cash's name on it. And there at the game, there was John Carter Cash doing the first riff of the game, and all those 80,000 people wearing Johnny Cash shirts. And I just knew if I had a Johnny Cash shirt, I'd be as cool as Johnny Cash and a soccer player, because I watched the soccer players wearing them too. Um, <laughs> and then you stop and you think about it. Uh, do they need that 80 or 100 bucks or whatever it is they want from it? And would I really be a combination of Johnny Cash and a goal-scoring uh, soccer player? Um, I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, my goal is to excel, but sadly that's also my shirt size. And that shirt's not going to do it for me. Uh, so um, you think about just how easily we can succumb uh, to the marketing of people. They want, they want, they want, and it's the dissatisfaction until you get it. And when you get it, it's not that good anyway, honestly. We're going to talk about contentment and discontentment and what happened to Gehazi and the uh, bad things that happened when Gehazi fell. So I called it a real-life cautionary tale because it's not a myth. It's not just a, a, something that goes around as a warning, but it's given to us as a warning. Uh, the Bible gives us, throughout Scripture, talks a lot about contentment and discontentment. There are principles laid out, and we'll look at some of those principles. But the Bible also gives us examples of people who've done it right, people who've done it wrong, and what are the consequences and when we're preaching through a historical book like this, this really happened. It's a real-life tale, but it's there for us. And there are biblical principles, and there's the gospel in this passage. So let's, let's get started and look at this. First of all, I would just say, guard your heart. Don't covet. Don't be Gehazi. Let's just look at the story first. Um, verse 16. Okay, so what's happened? And in case you were not here two weeks ago or you don't know the biblical story, Naaman came. He was a Syrian. He had leprosy. Syria was enemies with, with God's people, Israel. He'd even come down on a raid and taken that little slave girl. Uh, we don't even know her name. But she believed in God. And she knew about Elisha. And she knew what Elisha could do when, when Naaman had leprosy. And she essentially shared the gospel with him, shared good news. And he came armed with all these things from the king because Naaman was a famous man and he was a valuable man for his king. He was a mighty warrior. He was exalted. 
And he came with all these gifts. And they didn't want the gifts. And to get healed, he had to do something that was humbling for him. He had to go dip in the muddy waters seven times of not his own homeland, which he liked his waters and his home turf better, but he did that seven times, and he was healed. And he had all these gifts that he thought were going to be the cost of his salvation, but those gifts weren't necessary for his salvation. And he still, and we pick up the story this morning where he tried to give those gifts, and Elisha did not want the gifts. God's word was free. God's healing was free. There's no payment that anybody could make. And so in verse 16, Elisha is careful. He's very careful to not give the impression that he's responsible for the healing. He said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And it wasn't just a a little dance they were playing. Uh, Naaman has been healed. He's brought these things. He doesn't need those things. There's a whole castle full or a whole artillery uh, field full of, of, of gifts and presents. There's closets full. He can give these things and he's insisting, no, I want you to take those. And Elisha is saying, no, I will not take those. He does not want to look like he's a God's spokesman for hire. To him, it would have been stealing from God. It would have been stealing from the glory of God. And Naaman would have gone back and told the story about the man. And all he had to give was these garments of clothes and take some down. And all these people would have been coming for Elisha to heal them. Instead, Naaman went back to glorify God because Elisha was pointing to God and not taking the gifts that were legitimately he could have taken them, I think. But in his heart, he couldn't have. So in that case, he couldn't have taken them. Verse 20, Gehazi is looking at him. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this name in the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. He spared him. He could have gouged him. He could have taken these things. He spared him. And Gehazi is not liking what Elisha has done. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Trying to cash in. Look at the phrase, this name in the Syrian. Look at the disdain he had for him. Um, not necessarily racial, but, but uh, one person thinking he's superior because he's part of God's people, and this is the enemy, and the way that he looked down on him. In our day, we would say, wow, God has saved this man. He's my brother in Christ. He's going to worship uh, the same God as me. He's my brother. Gehazi, who was there, mixed up in all this religious stuff, had seen all these good things God had done, didn't see him as anything but somebody to get something out of, somebody to use. And that's right there in the church, so to speak. And it's wrong. I deserve this. I'm doing God's work. Haven't I served Elisha? Oh, Elisha did all these things. He raised the Shunammite's woman. He had the oil that would never run out. He did this. He did that. And I've been there. I've been been an important part of this work, and I deserve it because I'm doing God's work, so I'll take this for myself. It's there for the taking. Let me have my little indulgence. 
And that's where people sometimes fall. Whether they're pastors, whether they're Christian parents, whether they are anybody in the, in the church, anybody that's a Christian, they say, look, I'm working so hard for the Lord. I'll just take this little thing and no one needs to know. I'll just do this little thing. Somebody said, I guess it was J.C. Ryle uh, in his book, Holiness, said sometimes we do this with these little sins, what we think are little sins. We say, I'll make a truce with you. You don't raise up and bother me and I won't bother you. You and I can kind of coexist here a little bit because you're just a little one that's out of sight and out of mind and no one needs to know. And there's danger in that. And Gehazi did that. So he ran after him. I was thinking of a Robert Murray McShane. I may quote him again later on. He was a Scottish pastor. And he said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. You parents, your kid's greatest need is your personal holiness. More than driving them somewhere, more than paying for this or doing that, your personal holiness is what they need the most. Verse 25, he comes back. First he gets these guys and they're carrying this stuff. He says, I just drop them off here at the house. Just drop them off here at the house. Then you can go back. Then he rushes in and he has to tell another lie because that's what happens a lot of times. When we tell one lie and we get called on it, we've got to kind of tell another one. We've got to figure out how we're going to spin it. Isn't our news all about that? Uh, isn't that what press secretaries are for? Uh, to spin things, to put things on, to know what to tell and how to spin it, spin it, spin it, spin it, spin it. And so he's got to tell another lie. I didn't go anywhere. Somebody sang in one of her songs, people lie to God every day. What makes you think they won't lie to you? And people are liars and they lie. They lie. Caught up with an old old acquaintance renewing a friendship this week, just retiring from corporate uh, America, and he said, what I can't believe, what it wasn't like when I started 20 years ago or 30 years ago whenever he started, now he's retiring. He said, the way that people just lie. They lie. Uh, just tell this lie. This is the best lie we can tell to make this person not feel so bad. This is the best lie we can tell to shift them around. This is the best lie. And, and, and the question is just, what lie are we going to tell? And Gehazi told the lie, told a lie to Naaman. He said, oh, these two guys just came, and uh, they need that after all. And the servants are carrying the stuff, and you know those servants know exactly what's going on. Maybe Naaman didn't because he's just so overwhelmed with joy that he's been healed from his leprosy. But you think those two servants that are carrying that, and he says, just drop them off at my house, wink, wink, nod, nod. You think they didn't know that? They knew what was going on because they have their own language. And they were probably skimming off the same way and doing their thing. And he lied. And he had to tell another lie. Best not to tell the first lie, and you don't have to tell the second lie. Take your lumps on the first one. Don't lie. And God then gave him the leprosy. He said, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards, vineyards, sheep, oxen, male servants, female servants? Is this a time? No, this is a time to send somebody on their way to worship God, to be celebrating what God has done for them. That's what it's time for. It's not a time to get a bunch of junk for yourself. 
There'll be time. Not now. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. And what do you think old, old Gehazi looked like walking down the street in those clothes? And everybody's looking at his clothes, and then they see the leprosy. And all of a sudden, those clothes, nobody would want to wear those clothes after that, would they? Those clothes mean nothing. It's what's going on uh, in the heart and what's going on inside. Wanted us to see, as we look at that story, and, and just guarding your heart and not coveting. I mean, you stop and think about it uh, for a minute. Is it that Gehazi had no clothes? No, he had clothes. Nobody said Gehazi didn't have clothes to wear. He had clothes. He just didn't have clothes that he wanted. He thought he would look like uh, Johnny Cash combined with that soccer player if he was wearing those clothes. He'd look good. He'd look cool. He would look like he always thought he should look. The spiritual toll of Gehazi's sin. So, um, just for our guests, we're in 2 Kings chapter 15 about Gehazi and Naaman. And um, the spiritual toll of Gehazi's sin, in this case, Gehazi failed to be content. I want you to think about the toll that all of our sins take. Uh, one time I said to the teenagers uh, when I was back in, in the youth leader, and I said, uh, you don't sin in a vacuum. And then I had to explain that because they were thinking of a vacuum sweeper and trying to figure it out. But the fact of the matter is we don't sin in a vacuum. And what we do does have an effect. It takes a toll on our families. It takes a toll on the people around us. Think of the toll of Gehazi's sin in this case uh, where he was failing to be content. Think of his impact on Naaman. Naaman, who may or may not have seen through the lie, but Naaman, who needed to understand that the healing from God was free, free grace, no cost. And all of a sudden, well, there is a little bit of a thing attached to it. Did he really believe the story? Possibly. But maybe it reduced the God of Israel in his eyes, and maybe it made that God look a little bit less like the true only God and look like the gods around him. on those younger in the faith when we succumb. About 30 years ago in seminary, I knew a young man in Mississippi. Kid was about 17 or 18. I guess that makes him upper 40s now, some of your age. His father had been very successful, very big giver to Christian things. But uh, sort of like that... Uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter's song, he thinks he'll keep her. That dad decided he wasn't going to keep his mom. This kid could wake up every day and he had his choice, a tricked-out Jeep to drive to school or the Lexus. He had everything, everything in his house, anything he wanted materially. And I sat there with him and heard him cry and say, I hope I'm never rich. I don't ever want to be rich. I don't ever want to do what my dad did. And he saw his mom because the dad coveted a different lifestyle when he hit a certain level and thought he'd earned that and hit that point. 
Parents, you've got dependent kids who need your personal holiness more than they need you to buy them something. They need you to be walking with God and when you sin, confessing your sin. And they need you to look out. Um, uh, you hear all this stuff and there's all this pressure. Get them doing this. Get them doing that. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do that. Uh, chinka, chinka, ching. Um, those things are good. I'm not saying those things aren't bad, some of them, because I don't even know what they are, whatever those things are. But I know this. You can't replace doing that stuff without the walk with God that you need to pray for your kids and set that example for them. Naaman was a fellowship, a fellow worshiper. All of a sudden, remember, he wanted to take all that dirt back and worship God. He wasn't someone to be used, someone to, to glean clothing and shekels of money out from him. Look around you. When the communion plate is passed around, you're a Christian and you're a church member and you're partaking. Those people that are also reaching in and partaking of that meal are your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're your fellow worshipers who are partaking in that table with you. And your actions, if they are selfish or self-centered, affect them for ill. What do they say? A family's only as healthy as its least healthy member. You can't sin and harbor sin and, and what you're doing uh, in a vacuum, without it affecting other people around you. Likewise, your actions, when they are Christ-centered and unselfish, affect them for good. Secondly, you see the effect of Gehazi's sin, not just on those who are newer Christians or weaker in the faith, but you see even on those older in the faith. And I thought about what it must have been like to be Elisha. And boy, Gehazi had walked with him for, through some hard yards. Gehazi had been with him through thick and thin, through threats. Gehazi was there to celebrate the coming back to life of that young man, the Shunammite's uh, woman's son. And can you hear the grief in Elisha's voice? Gehazi, where'd you go? Where have you been? No, I haven't been anywhere. And that's hard. It's hard when someone you've been discipling, someone who's making progress in the faith, who's growing in the Lord, all of a sudden turns and you say, where did that come from? That is utter betrayal. Hard for parents sometimes, all the time when they're kids, who they've raised, who've made professions of faith, all of a sudden just turn on it. And you bet Elisha felt like a failure and had to come to grips with, how did I fail him? And it was a jar to Elisha's walk, I'm certain. But then you think about the toll of Gehazi's sin of covetousness and lying and getting these things on himself. Didn't he look good strutting his stuff down the street in those threads with his leprosy? What were his regrets? What did he think about afterwards? He wasn't thinking about new garments ever again in his life. Just, what was I thinking? What was I so excited about? What, what was the lure? Why did I think I had to have that? Had to have it. Had to have it. Oh, really? Forgive me, God. 
and God will forgive honest repentance. As we make an application to this lesson, first of all, I would say, keep this lesson personal. Don't use this as an excuse to judge someone else. You're not the Holy Spirit, so don't try and be the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life and what they spend their money on. Maybe what they, uh, God's given them to do and have is something that they need for their soul. Maybe in your life it would be uh, covetousness or, or something. So you, you, keep it, you keep it to yourself and you talk to the Holy Spirit about yourself and not uh, judging on the others. Listen to the Holy Spirit in your own life. Keep grounded in the word. What does the New Testament have to say about covetousness and contentment? 1 Timothy 6, 8 through 10. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. This gets misquoted all the time. The love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Gehazi would say, if he was here to stand with us, he'd go, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's absolutely true. Another passage, the one that Rick read as part of our New Testament reading. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe the best passage from the New Testament as we Think about what we, uh, our attitude toward the circumstances God gives us in life is Paul, where Paul said, I know how to be uh, brought up. I know how to be low. I know all these things. I'm not speaking of being in need. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So look at yourself. Bible, I have no problem telling you to look at yourself. Uh, and, and listen to the Holy Spirit, read the scripture, and evaluate where you're at. Maybe, maybe you are starting to think about uh, like Gehazi and think, hey, those, those, those are looking pretty good. Those couple shekels in, in that economy could set me up for life. And all I have to do, and really I've heard it, and boy, the things that we all do, we could, if, we were, if we were really honest with each other, <laughs> uh, the things we do to justify what we do is incredible. So look at yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit. Look at yourself in light of Scripture and think about contentment. Think about being content. Second, application. I have a question that I hadn't thought about until, until this week as I looked at this. What if Gehazi had responded honestly to Elisha's question? Look at this. Verse 25. Gehazi went in and stood before his master. In the back of his mind, he can't wait till this is over. He gets off work. He can clock out and go look at his things. And, and he can make his financial plan with his shekels. And he can't wait to get away. But he goes in before Elisha. And what if when Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And what if he had said, I've done something very terrible. And we've got to fix this. I went... I told a lie to Naaman, and I have to confess, I was resentful at you because I thought that, that you could have legitimately taken these things, and I thought you made a, a bad mistake, and I was lured by the, the love of things and the love of money, and I really messed up big time. Remember, Elisha representing the word. That's the word they had. He was God's prophet. 
And when we read the word or we hear the word sometimes, there is that check on us. And what do we do with conviction? Now, Paul and I used to teach Sunday school back in Pensacola, and there was a parents, and they said, and he was right, and his dad was right. He said, my kid is going to, he said, he's, he's, he's mischievous. He said, he really is. Um, I know that, and we work on that. He said, but what I'm really interested in, in, and you can help us with this, is how does he respond to correction? And that's what he wanted to hear about, and that's what he was working with his son on. And here's a check. Here's a, a correction. Here's an opportunity for Gehazi to say, I've messed up, but, but let's fix this. But what did Gehazi do? Haven't been anywhere. Keeping trying to, to, to cover it. Um, I'm wondering what would have happened. This is all speculation, but what would have happened? Getting that leprosy anyway? I don't know. What happened when Cain brought a, a sacrifice that wasn't acceptable to God, and, and Abel did? And didn't before the, the tragedy of the, of the first murder, didn't God go to Cain and say, Cain, why is your face fallen? Cain, why are you looking down? Uh, you can correct this. There's a sacrifice. There's a way you can bring this and be right. And Cain blew him off. In God's words, sin is crouching at the door. And sin got him. Or you think in the New Testament of Ananias and Sapphira and the opportunity that Sapphira had to come in and just tell the truth when she was asked the question. Oh, she'd messed up. Oh, they'd sinned. They'd, they'd conspired to lie. But there was a question. There was an opportunity. See the opportunity. See the possibility. Um, respond. What do we do? We don't want to bear it. You can't hide it from the Lord anyway. And finally, the point that most that, that many, many people make, and they make it, and it's right to make this, I want us to see as we think about the gospel and the cross, back to this whole story about the cost of healing. Salvation is free. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. What three things was Naaman given? The obvious one, he was given healing for his body. He was freed from his leprosy. But what else was he given? He was given a gift. Two loads of dirt to go back. Dirt from that land. And he was going to worship God. He was given a gift of being able to worship the one true God in the midst of a land of, of, of unholiness, of, of multiple gods and, and, and false gods. And he was also given, and I love this verse that I didn't, key on as much I felt like two weeks ago when after he talked about the uh, stress of his job and how he's trying to live as a Christian in the world and, and if he's going to bow himself down because his, because his, his um, king on his arm has to bow down and he has to bow down and, and you think of, of this gift that Elisha, God's word gave to him in verse 19 where he said to him, go in peace. He was given the blessing uh, to live for God and, and the peace in the midst of the questions of, of, of living a life for God. In your salvation, what have you been given? What have you been given spiritually in your salvation? You have been given healing. You have been given forgiveness. It's crazy, but it's true. The world can scoff at that, but when 
God saved you. He gave you healing. There is spiritual healing, and there's a whole perspective on life that, that God gave you. He also gave you the honor and the privilege of worshiping him. You wouldn't think about worshiping him before your salvation. And now you get to worship God, the gift of worship. You get your two loads of dirt right here. You can come and worship. You get your two loads of dirt to worship on in your quiet place at home when you read the Bible and you pray to God. You've been given the privilege of worship. When you hear two loads of dirt, when you read that Bible story to your kids and you pray with them. And what else have you been given? Peace in the midst of the life you live. There are questions, but you know that you can find these answers, and there's peace in how you work out, how you live your life on the job. And like Naaman, you can't pay for any of it. You can't purchase it. And Elisha did not want Naaman to even come close to thinking, any way, shape, or form about works salvation. God didn't want this healing of Naaman to look anything like it came at a cost. Salvation is free. God's grace is free. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus bore the weight of the sins of his people on himself. And it was at no cost to you. Uh, nobody comes in and and shakes us down and says, how much can you give? What percentage can you give so that you can be saved? Salvation is free. Whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out, Jesus said. It's free. You can't work for it. You can't make God love you anymore by what you do. People want to, and of course we respond, but boy, uh, think about it. And I was thinking about this this week and the contrast between contentment and an attitude of how we live our lives. Think of those uh, Pharisees as they were tithing. And boy, they were perfect tithers, it sounds like, some of them at least. They, they wanted to give the impression that way. And Jesus said, you even give a tenth of the little mint seeds, and you count them uh, out, and you give one. And their hearts were so hard, and they were so threatened, and they were so angry. And what's the Bible say? It doesn't say don't give, but it says cheerful, heart giver, contentment. Living your life of contentment, being happy with what God gives you. Not talking about optimism versus pessimism. Just talking about being content with the circumstance that God gives you in your life. Uh, we don't know what's coming. Boy, be happy with what you got. You got a can of food there? Eat your food. You got a clothes in your closet? Put your clothes on. Thank you, God. I got some clothes. Got some shoes? Hey, they may be cool orange tennis shoes. That's great. But uh, uh, they may not be either. Be content with the shoes you got. Be content. Be happy. God's given it to you. Uh, been developing this just to think about because we think about the glass half full or the glass half empty. That's optimism or pessimism. For the Christian, well, that's realism and all that stuff. And, and I'm not going to tell you, you just... You just go against, and you just be happy, be happy, be happy. That's just a dumb song that Bobby McLaren sang way back when. Uh, not be happy, be happy, but look at the glass, and the question for the Christian, if the glass is half empty or half full, isn't that. It's who poured the glass. Be content with what God gives you, and trust God. God said, I'm going to take care of you. 
you're my people, I will take care of you. Birds take care of them, better than birds. Lilies of the field take care of them. They're not all wearing you know, soccer jerseys or whatever. They're, they're wearing what I want them to wear. Be content with what God's given you. Be content. Be content. You have a, you're, you're young parents and you got little kids. It's hard. I remember. Be content. That's what he's given you. You're looking at retirement. What's my retirement going to look like? What's going to look like me doing what God has for me and living for God? And then I'm going to die and go to heaven. Contentment. Salvation being free. Take that. Let's go to the table and partake together with that wonderful idea that forgiveness and restoration is absolutely free and that our God who saved us will take care of us thick or thin, no matter what comes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this uh, warning from the life of Gehazi. Help us in our own lives to, um, to, to love and, and, and rejoice and, and enjoy the salvation you've given us. Help us to revisit what it means to be forgiven and set free. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.